Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Most of you know me from the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. Do you enjoy the Hide and Seek podcast? Would you like to show your support? Head over to Apple iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and follow us so you never miss an episode. You can interact with us as well as share your thoughts, ideas, and theories on this season's episodes by joining the Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. The following podcast may contain strong language and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Sweet dreams are made of this. 24-Hour News Aid's Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter. I can tell you where she most likely is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty They're pretty freaking gruesome. I kept all the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany. I have all of them. I have everything. I told him, I said, I kill all them motherfuckers. And I was going to have my people fucking take care of it. I'll just say Brittany's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Because this little town around here would be hard to hide something like that. Because eventually everything comes out. To me, some days I don't believe anything happened to her. I think she just left. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys, it's the early morning of August 16th, 2021. I'm flying from Seattle, Washington to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Total travel time, over 10 hours. After months of collecting information on Brittany's case, I wanted to actually be on location, visit with those who were willing face-to-face. It's one thing to scan over an area over Google Maps and try to get an idea of what it was like to walk from the scene of the car crash to John's house. It's another to be on site. This season, I want to bring you guys something different than my previous two. Not just audio coverage, but also video as well. You guys will be able to see my trip to Michigan. Head over to my Hide and Seek Podcast Facebook and Instagram social media pages if you want to see what I have to share. Now, before taking my trip to Michigan, I intentionally didn't ask too many questions of those who I was interviewing with. If you recall from episode one, I mentioned that there was an overload of information being sent my way by Ashley. Regardless of the amount of incoming data, I was more than happy to take all the information she and others were willing to share. But when it came to the questions I really wanted answers to, I decided to wait and ask those questions when I was in person. It's easy to say over the phone, no thanks, or I'll call you back, and then ghost if you don't want to answer a question or talk to somebody. It's even easier knowing they're over 2,000 miles away. Sometimes I feel like a debt collector or a sales telemarketer awkwardly messaging random people, asking them to speak with me. Today, I'm taking you guys with me. We're headed to Sturgis, Michigan. You're going to hear from Brittany's family. You'll hear what happened while I was there and the strange encounter I had with one of Brittany's lovers. All right, here we go. While on my way to Michigan, I couldn't help but notice as I walked to the airport that just about every TV was showing news coverage on the disappearance of a young woman. Again, investigators here all across the U.S. are piecing together a timeline. We want to share that with you that they're hoping will help them track down Gabby. And here's what we've been able to determine based on social media posts and interviews. According to the family, Gabby and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, took off on a cross-country road trip. That was July 2nd. And between that date and then the end of all... I'd like to take a second to address this uncomfortable topic surrounding Britney's case. I brought this up in the first episode. How come Britney didn't get the same media attention Gabby did? Both deserve attention, but how come one gets national media attention with Dog the Bounty Hunter knocking on doors, while the other gets one clip in the local media coverage? I'm going to address the elephant in the room. The next two topics I'm about to share do not directly reflect Britney's life decisions. This is more of a general observation, in my opinion. Major media companies don't normally cover true crime stories on women who struggle with drugs or take part in prostitution. Why? 
Is it because we think their lives hold less value? Or is it because those stories don't drive TV ratings? But yet, we'll watch another Netflix series on serial killer Ted Bundy. And I'm not here to make you feel bad either. I'm right there with you, watching, trying to understand how someone could become such a monster. I'm going to be open and honest with you guys. I believe we don't hear about stories like Britney's because most of us simply don't relate to the victim. It's the hard truth. In my opinion, it probably shows in the TV ratings. Otherwise, we would see more. Which is odd because 99.9% of us who pay attention and watch true crime stories will never relate to someone like BTK. Yet, there I am, watching another documentary about him. I feel that when stories of victims who deal with drugs or prostitution, sadly, our minds naturally gravitate towards the parental thought, damn it, what'd you think was gonna happen? And in that mental process, the fire and hunger for justice seemingly dwindles. But why? Do we still care? Regardless of drug addiction or prostitution, it's an honest question. I understand how it works. Gabby Petito's case was very bizarre and extremely sad. I'm happy Gabby's name and case received the attention it did and deserved. Because she deserved it. Her family deserved it. I'm just disheartened by the lack in coverage and awareness for victims such as Brittany Wallace, Logan Schindelman, and Nancy Moyer. Because they and their families deserve it just the same. I'd encourage you guys to remember this going forward. It would be foolish of me to read the last chapter in a book and assume I know how the story got there. I won't name the companies or people I've spoken with, but I'll say this. I've heard it from the horse's mouth. It's called white woman syndrome. I'm going to let Sarah touch on this. The National Crime Information Center says that there were more than 268,000 girls and women reported missing in 2020. That's just one year. Of course, most missing people are found within 24 to 48 hours, but there are plenty who are not. Out of the remaining cases, there's just a handful that make it to the national news and even less that make it to their local news. Let me preface what I'm about to say. James and I are in no way dismissing the circumstances surrounding the death of Gabby Petito. And we are certainly not minimizing the nightmare her family and friends have been forced to live through. Like most of you, I am angered, particularly by what appears in the body cam footage in the days prior to her disappearance. It seems that in America, the epidemic of missing women goes hand-in-hand with the epidemic of violence against women. The mainstream media coverage of the Gabby Petito case was intense. Unlike many other missing person cases, mainstream media outlets like CNN or MSNBC covered the case nearly 24-7. Throughout this time, there was lots of discussion on social media about missing white women syndrome. Unfortunately, the conversations were very short-lived. So what is missing white women syndrome? It's the theory that mainstream media and its listeners or viewers prefer reporting about missing young white upper-middle-class females more so than similar stories that involve minorities or men, sex workers, or those struggling with addiction or domestic violence, or those who we consider to be from a lower socioeconomic status. The idea here is that stories about young white upper middle class females are actually over-reported, while others are drastically under-reported. This means it's far more likely that we would see stories about People like Gabby Petito, Lacey Peterson, Natalie Holloway, or Elizabeth Smart. And far less likely that we would see stories about people like Shakaya Blue Harding, a missing Indigenous woman from Yellowstone County, Montana, or Michael McLean, a missing man of color from Nashua, New Hampshire, or even Brittany Wallace, a young woman who had struggles with addiction and poverty. To be missing in America means you are almost solely defined by your age, race, class, and overall lifestyle. Let's face it, these factors largely determine how involved law enforcement will be, the amount of media attention one receives, and even the tone of public sympathy. There are a few other possible explanations, however, we can no longer ignore. 
that the lives of women who are minorities, trapped in the cycle of addiction or domestic violence, involved in sex work or simply living in poverty are considered low on the scale of social worth. And that means these women become America's throwaways. The topic of missing persons is a serious one. It should not take the murder of a young white woman for us to have conversations about other missing people in the world. Every missing person deserves the same amount of attention without regard to things like appearance, habits, gender, or lifestyle. Today, another person of color, an indigenous person, someone struggling with addiction or domestic violence, or maybe a sex worker, will go missing. Their name and story most of us will never hear. It could be your daughter, it could be your son, your friend, it could even be you. Touchdown, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And as expected, things didn't go as planned. Three out of our four bags didn't arrive with us. Baggage claim told us to come back in an hour. As we waited for our bags, Ethan, my camera guy, and I went to a local pizza joint, One Well Brewing. It's not far away from the airport. We made our way to the bar. The bartender checked our IDs. Washington, what brings you over here? I tell her I'm a podcaster investigating a missing person case. Brittany Wallace Shank. Have you heard of her? The bartender shook her head while squinting her eyes, quietly repeating Brittany's full name under her breath, staring into the distance like she was trying to find the answer on the wall behind me. Sorry, never heard of her. Ethan and I wrapped up dinner, drove back to the airport. You guessed it. Our three bags weren't arriving that night, and the house we're renting is 45 minutes away. The airport assures me that someone will drive us our bags in the morning once they've arrived. Ethan and I hit the road and made it to the house. By this time, it's almost midnight, and I'm expecting Ashley tomorrow morning. I'm not going to dive into what Ashley and I discussed in our interview just yet. Today, I want us to start with Brittany's family. In the last episode, I shared with you three of Jessica's voicemails sent by a man who Ashley claims to be as Daniel Walters. We also listened to the uncomfortable voice memos exchanged between Brittany and Jessica. Before we get into that, I want us to start with Greg, Brittany's father. While in Michigan, Ashley was very helpful in arranging meetings with various people I wanted to speak with. On my way to Grandma's house, right before arriving, I got a phone call from Ashley, who was actually right in front of me leading the way. She had something that she wanted to share with me about Greg Wallace. I have been on the phone with Greg since we pulled away from the chicken farm. Yeah. And he has agreed to speak with you at 8.30 tonight. You can call him. So you got an hour and a half, and we got to call him. In an hour and a half? Yep. Okay. He said he, finally he got to it. He said, well, I guess he can call me at 8.30 tonight if he wants to. Hour and a half, you got to be on the phone. So he wants to talk to Set an alarm at 8.20 p.m. Hello. Hi, is this Greg? Yeah. Hey, Greg, this is James Basinger. Ashley gave me your number. Yes. Is now a good time to chat with you? Yeah. Okay. Greg and I spent some time speaking on the phone. Christina McKeever from episode one and Ashley have made it clear. Greg talking about his daughter's disappearance seemed nearly impossible. Kudos to Ashley for making this happen. My conversation with Greg went well. I was actually surprised it was maybe five minutes into our conversation. What was once considered to be impossible, getting Greg to talk, was now a reality. I, I had talked to Ashley and I'd seen that you, you know, made the trip all this way to investigate and everything. So I figured, yeah, you know, that I should probably talk with you. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. I do, Greg, and, and again. I, I appreciate you taking the time and everything, coming all this way and actually, you know, trying to, find something out because I'm sure Greg and I made plans to meet at his house later that week. Honestly, knowing that Greg hasn't talked or opened up to anyone about his daughter's disappearance, I really didn't know what to expect or how our interview would go. So if you can state your first name. Greg. I'm Brittany's father. When meeting Greg, I quickly got the vibe that his guard was down. You heard him yourself. 
He recognizes that I flew across states to help find Brittany. He's relaxed. He's wearing cargo khaki pants and a black t-shirt. No socks or shoes. I'd consider Greg somewhat of a bigger guy. And from the looks of it, he's not someone you'd want to get into a confrontation with, especially when it comes to his daughter, Brittany. I've heard that your mom helped raise Britt. Yeah. Was she, did she ever live with you? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember what age, which age frame? Oh, it was off and on several times, but, you know, like I told you, her mom dropped her off to me when she was like two years old, and then I went and got sole custody of her and, you know, started raising her. You know, when when she would get mad at me or something, she'd want to go to her mom's. Brit. Well, I'd let her, you know, she'd go a month or so, and now she'd come back. Come back and she, uh, I got divorced back in... 2007 i moved over here to elkhart well Brittany come with me but i was working second shift so Brittany was doing a lot of stuff that she shouldn't have been doing sneaking out so she went to live with my mom oh okay so mom had a better schedule can have more eyes on her less yeah. free time on her hands okay is so that mom that's where mom helped and stepped in yeah and she lived there a while and then uh <clears throat> she moved down to kentucky with uh a friend down there, his name was Owen, and he ended up dying right in front of her. Oh, I didn't know that. He had, I don't know, he had something, something happened with his heart or something and died right in front of her. How and old was she when that happened? I think 16. Wow. This is a critical time in Brittany's life. This life-altering experience redirects Brittany's lifestyle down a new path. So she that, witnessed this, and this guy that Owen she's with was somebody she was in a dating relationship with? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you recall how that impacted her? Yeah, it, it destroyed her. That's when that's when she pretty much started on the drugs and everything. So that was kind of the, the coping method that she, the route she chose with trying to deal with that pain. That's a, I mean, for someone to die in your arms at any age, but you have this 16-year-old vulnerable... That must have been hard. Yeah. Uh, have you ever talked to Owen's parents? No. No. I'm going to read you a post Brittany created on Facebook. This post was created on November 30th at 1256 a.m., the same day Brittany goes missing. She's writing a message to Connor. Owen Connor Spar, I miss and love you. Your voice is so precious. I could use one of your speeches right now. You're in my heart, mind, and soul forever and one day I'll see you again. Until then, you'll still be my one and only guardian angel. And then after Owen passed away, she moved back here, I presume? I uh, was here a little while. Um, we had a lot of, you know, she was wanting to sneak out again and not wanting to follow the rules. She didn't really get along with my new wife at the time, getting in fights with her, getting in fights with me. Which, so... That was pretty much when she was on her own again. And, you know, she didn't want to abide by the rules or anything. So she went, you know, back to my mom's for a while. And, you know, her place has pretty much since then always been my mom's. You know, she would stay with friends. And she got married a few times. So you said she got married a couple of times. Was there a guy before Eric? Yeah, Justin Persing. Persing? Okay. Greg mentioned... Brittany getting married a couple of times. I'd like to discuss that topic before proceeding forward in my interview with Greg. Brittany's first marriage was with a man named Justin Persing. They had a kid together, and sadly, Justin and Brittany ended up getting a divorce. The reason for it? I don't know yet. I've attempted to speak with Justin, but because of how difficult it is, he doesn't want to talk about it. Justin made it clear that he wants to know what happened to Brittany, but doesn't want to get involved. You see, Justin was in jail days before Brittany went missing. His discharge date hasn't been released on November 15th. Justin wrote me the following. I love and will always love Brittany. I want the person or persons to not just rot in a cell, but I want them to feel every ounce of pain, sadness, loneliness that her family, friends, her babies feel every day. I know how it feels to be locked in a cage with no one for years. And to me, that's not enough for whoever did this to her. But I made a promise to my family and to my kids that I won't do anything that will end me back in prison. That's why I don't want to talk about this to anyone, because when I find the one responsible for it, I will make sure he suffers. This brings us to Brittany's second husband, 
who was with a man named Eric Shank. And technically, Brittany and Eric are still married to this day. Eric hasn't responded to my original message at this point of my investigation. We know that Brittany was dating Sheldon when she went missing. So to help make things clear, Brittany was married to Justin Persing, and they eventually got divorced. She then marries Eric Shank. When? I don't know. But they're still married to this day, as I understand it. Justin Persing and Brittany weren't talking, nor was Justin or Britt trying to rekindle their relationship. But, yeah, you know, then she ended up getting married with Eric. She has some kids with him. You met Eric? Yeah. Good kids, in your opinion? I mean, from the time... Well, I mean, yeah, they were, you know, until they got mixed into the drugs and stuff. Which will create the challenges regardless of who you are. I know Britt eventually had made the decision to say that the, her kids were just not in the best interest of being in her possession, providing a, a home that I think that she was honest with herself and saying that more stability is obviously the better path for kids and a mom and dad who can love on this child in a way that she, maybe she was just struggling, obviously, to do at that time. Yeah. Um, were you aware of that decision-making for Britt when she said, oh, okay, I'm going to sign over my rights? Or yeah, you guys talked about it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I told her it'd be best. You know, she was 22, 23 years old, four kids, no job, you know. Do you remember what kind of impact that had? Even though it's the, you know, she's making that decision and it's the best interest for her, it's still got to be hard. Oh, yeah. You know, it's another loss for, you know. It was all four kids? Yeah. Yeah. Do you keep in contact with? No, I have not seen them. Don't know where they're at. I told you guys in episode one that we would discuss the comments made by Brittany to her mother, Jessica, in regards to her children. And no, I could just see my kids on a regular basis. All of them. Thank you. Is that hard for you to want? I mean, is there any desire to want to, or is it right now just kind of letting them live in there and not adding more confusion? Yeah. 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 Is this? Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. Let's talk about who Brittany was. I mean, we had the teenager growing up who has his challenges but you also have this seems like this fun spontaneous outgoing girl at the same time i've seen the videos of her with her kiddos you know there's obviously the fun side and the beautiful side in her yeah yeah i'm sorry no take your time it's hard for me to share vulnerable moments like this It almost feels like reading someone's private entries in a journal I just found under their mattress. It just kind of feels dirty. So what's the reason? Why am I sharing this? My reason is because I truly feel that the person or persons out there responsible for Brittany's disappearance are listening right now. I want them to understand the pain that they caused this man and this family. You've continued to move about freely, not accepting the consequences of your actions. Celebrating every birthday that you have and every family holiday that you guys spend at the table eating food together. These are the things that Greg doesn't get to have with Brittany anymore. She was very stubborn. (laughs) Like you said, very funny. When she was up to no good, she would get this. She'd get this shit-eating grin on her face. (laughs) (laughs) She had a lot of love in her heart. Seems like she was somebody who could easily make friends. Yeah. Yeah, she could. If she didn't like you, she'd let you know. (laughs) Always very stubborn and... Strong-willed. Yep. Take as much time as you need throughout this. When you found out, I mean, emotionally, physically, mentally, what kind of toll has this taken on you? I'm not the same person. I've turned very cold. It's caused a lot of anger, a lot of depression, a lot of problems with my wife, my kids. I I can't say I'm sorry enough to be here and for the reason why I am. What's the hardest part for you? The not knowing... I've done this already for two, with two different other families, and that's the number one thing they say, is not knowing. 
I don't know. I feel <clears throat> so bad for <laughs> taking things for granted. You know, the simplest things of <laughs> not answering a phone call from her. You know, I don't get to talk to her no more. I don't get to see her no more. <laughs> and you know, you, you don't realize it. Oh, it's too late. Has that changed how you've parented your other kids? It's changed me. I don't have, I don't have the love in my heart or anything anymore. It's just, you know, get up every day and try to make it through the day. Not a day goes by that you don't think about it. Not a minute goes by, I don't think about it. I just, you know, I wish I could have got through to her, got her to change her ways. Maybe things would have been different. Is that like a, a mental place that you live in right now where you kind of are constantly reliving the moments in your guys' life and thinking shoulda, coulda, woulda? Yeah. You know, talking about it doesn't seem to be something that's obviously what anybody in your position would want to do. It's just how heartbreaking it is sitting here. You're the first person I've talked to. Really? These conversations aren't easy to have. Greg has crawled through life since Brittany went missing. He said it's changed him. He's cold. Wrestles daily with the mental thoughts of shoulda, coulda, woulda. My heart breaks for him. Greg and I continued. One question I wanted to ask is, when was the last time you saw Brittany? Thanksgiving Day. We went to dinner. So that was, what, November 27th, 24th? Thanksgiving landed on the 22nd, eight days before Brittany goes missing. Does that day, is it vivid for you? It's the last picture I have of her and I. Oh, man. She's beautiful. That was Thanksgiving, huh? Yep. Wow. Wow. Shit-eating grins. No. (laughs) Is that that grin you were talking about, huh? Yep. (laughs) That's her taste. She knew she was up to no good because she <laughs> knows I don't like my picture taken. <laughs> was th- Thanksgiving the last time you guys had spoken, or was there any type of line of communication between you guys prior or after Thanksgiving? No, I think Thanksgiving was the last time I I talked to her because I was mad about that being... she she was on something that day. Oh, was she on? I believe it was the October, or uh, the voice memos that Ashley came across of Jessica and Brittany going back and forth. Brittany had even mentioned, like, me and my dad are good. Like, we're talking. Obviously, you've already kind of touched on there being its challenges within the home, but Brittany rebelling a little bit. And um, But obviously, up you know, near the time that she went missing, she you guys were on great terms. Well, we we were all right. I mean... We were good. There yeah. was just, you know. It's challenges. There's some things that I didn't agree with. And, you know, she was an adult. You know, all I could do is give my two cents. You know, a person's going to live their life how they want to live it. I mean, but, you know, yeah, I, I was mad because I could tell she was she was on something that day. So, I mean, we were, we were still in a good right. place. Mental note. Greg felt Brittany was on something at Thanksgiving dinner. Who was Brittany getting the drugs from? And where's Sheldon? Or is it too early to bring the boyfriend around for Thanksgiving? I asked Greg what he knew about Brittany and her whereabouts on November 30th. I couldn't even tell you for sure. You know, I don't know if my mom would remember, but I couldn't tell you for sure if she even stayed at Sheldon's house that day or if she stayed at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, Does, do you know what time Brittany arrived to her mom's house? No, not offhand. I think mom said she left, you know, a little after 8.30 or something. We know Brittany is in Sheldon's vehicle. Yep. We know that there is a mystery man that is present with Brittany at mom's residence. Yep. Mom doesn't know who this male is. Right. Right. Did mom know who Sheldon was already, though? Yeah. So it would have been easy for her to say, well, that's Sheldon. Um, I would imagine. Crossing paths, you might Yeah, I I can't speak for anybody else, but, uh, you know. Mom hadn't seen him in a long time, so I don't know if yeah. she would have recognized him or not. She goes from Grandma's house, eventually gets over to Workman Road in that corner. 
I was always thinking, okay, so I must have been in a position where they couldn't reverse it. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, because like I said, we had had a layer of ice and then it was freezing fog. So there's kind of a little dip there. So they may not have been able to back out of the ditch. Yeah. Yeah, I was there because they they went off right where you're supposed to go around the curve, yeah. and they yeah, that's very well could be why they couldn't reverse it. At this point, we honestly I don't know who's driving. Yeah, right. But it was explained to me that the personal items in her purse had been scattered throughout the car, almost like there was a tussle, I guess. But we do know that she then flees on foot, and she has no shoes to walk barefoot. I mean, I'm wondering why she's barefoot in the first place. But if she had her sandals, like, why why weren't the sandals on? Or Because that's cold out there. That's going to, I mean, that could be what caused yeah, her feet to bleed. probably why her feet were bloody. Did they ever find blood drops from the feet on elderly man's door or, or porch? I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. Did he say that she also had scrapes on her arms? I don't remember if he did or not. I just, I just remember he had told the 911 operator that, you know, she she was bleeding, that she had some scratches and stuff on her i don't know i don't remember where i can tell you now that i've talked to the young male who saw Brittany. his mom heather and i spoke and pretty spooked out by this whole situation and that's how it was kind of okay we can know that she went to it starts first and that, that don't make any sense you know if she was running from his house why she would go to another house right when she flees on foot I know the house to the left, as they were supposed to take their right, the house to the left, the farm with the silos, they were on vacation, which is, I believe she went to house one first, and that was the first one. They didn't answer, so then she proceeds to Sart's house. Yeah, there's actually, where they wrecked, there's actually two houses. Two houses. There's yeah. one would have been right in front of her car and then the farm. I don't know if she ever went to that house or not, right. whether they were home, gone. Right didn't seem like she was concerned about knocking on the doors she was willing at least with kassar in the young kid's house and the the farmhouse still trying to understand why would the male flee is he have a warrant for his arrest having a warrant could be a reason to you don't want to get caught in this accident maybe he's responsible they don't have insurance maybe they do have insurance all i know is she says that the guy flees when she gets to kassar's house from my understanding did she have a cell phone at that time yeah. Did she try calling Grandma's house first from her cell phone? She had tried to make calls to my mom, whether it was from Cassart's phone or her cell phone. I, I can't remember, but do you know where her cell phone is today? No. No, I don't. I don't think it's been found. Okay. Wait a sec. Which, by the way, in case you didn't catch that, screenshots. Of Britt's phone. It was wiped when the cops got it. They still have it. Britt's phone? I thought we never yeah, found Britt's phone. Right. The phone that was never found? Yeah, that one. Jessica took it to a when she found it on the back floorboard of the car. Or the other car, depending on which message you read. Wait. I'm a little confused. Greg's saying the sheriff's office doesn't have Brittany's cell phone. Something to follow up with Ashley. Back to Greg. She gets to Cassart's residence. He notes that he thought his motion detector had picked up that his cat was outside, out front. So that's why he actually went to the front doorstep in the first place. He opens the door and there's Brittany. You were given an opportunity from St. Joseph Sheriff's Office to listen to that 911 call. Yep. What do you remember about it? Can you take me through it? Um, well, she, she must have obviously decided to go in the house because, you know, I believe the 911 call was from the landline and the operator asked her her name you know she told him she asked him what happened she said my boyfriend wrecked the car and ran off now is this her talking or Cassart? that was her talking her talk so you're listening to her speak yeah okay Okay. and then uh you know they asked her if she's all right needs medical or anything Says no, and then uh, she she gives the phone back to Cassart, and the operator's you know still wanting to to talk to her. But at that point, did she just kind of like 
jump off of it and then like kind of let him finish or was there any kind of like reason for her to hand the phone back off like all right let me talk to the homeowner well yeah so you know she wanted the the dispatcher wanted the address and stuff Brittany didn't know it and then so then you know she handed it back off to john well then you know they said they were sending somebody out that's when she took off did John tried to holler at her to get her to come back, and then they ended up, you know, 911 told them to get off the phone and go try to get her back in the house. So he hung up with them and then tried to get her, but she was gone. And he calls 911 back and told her, you know, he's sending somebody out and with uh, all the ice and everything that night. It was taking them a real long time to get somebody out there. And they told him, yeah, and, you know, he's like, well, she's gone. I, You know, I don't know where she went. Did you hear that part? Yep. So she eventually is providing the information. She says, my boyfriend wrecked the car. Her exact words. My boyfriend wrecked the car and ran off. Eventually, they get to the point where they need the address, and Brittany says, here, did John even say he saw her turn around and walk away? Or did what, did he look back and she was gone and went out? To no, home? she started to go outside, and he's like, no, no, you know, stay in here. And So then that's when he hung up 911, told him to try to get her back in the house. You, know? you hear him hollering at her, like, yeah. He ended up calling back and said, she's gone. I just remember him telling him that he don't know where she went, that she's gone. It almost seems like something just turned over in her mind and she just walked and went and left. She goes down to the neighbor's house. Yeah, if she went to the back. neighbor's house, you know, then she's she's headed back towards Grandma's. Yeah. But why she stopped at the neighbor's house after she already stopped at John's house and called. 911. Unless, you know, that... That guy was chasing her or something because I don't know for sure or not, but I heard tell that when Brittany knocked, what spooked the kid was somebody else was knocking on another door or window at the same time. And then when one gets there around, I believe. Yeah, uh, it had to have been closer to 10. So we know we, she went from Cassarts to what's got me wondering is, okay, so if there's a knock and there's Brittany's present, then we know that. You're right. Yeah, yeah, just gonna stretch. Okay. Greg would need to move around from time to time. This is actually why Greg couldn't participate in the searches for Brittany. He's dealing with some medical issues, not relevant to share details. But you also said she did have a warrant out for her arrest that Jessica had, or something with Jessica. Which do you think that could have been why she just left Casarts the way that she did in the condition that she did? Yep. Cause almost they... seems like she left Casarts, in my opinion, knowing law enforcement was going to come handle this, but was wanting to get to Grandma's. But being at Casarts would have led law enforcement to his house, and she would have had to have been present or there, which is why he's like, stay. And she's like, no, I'm going to get arrested if I am here while law enforcement gets here. She doesn't want to be at the car because that's where law enforcement is going to help her get out of. It almost seems like he, she was going to the kid's house to use his phone to try to get a hold of Grandma's house. That's kind of... Could thinking. have been, yeah. It's a big mystery. I can hear myself, spinning and turning the story, trying to figure out what piece of the puzzle goes where. I'm confused. Why leave John's house if you've already made contact with 911? Especially if the male, aka boyfriend, is trying to hurt you. Or was that not the case? Did Brittany and this male take the corner too fast and it's as simple as that? Brittany did have a warrant for her arrest at the time. I've looked into this warrant. I personally don't feel it's connected to her disappearance. Jessica shared with me that it was about a theft dispute. I'm not going to spend much time on this topic, but you have to consider the reason. Did Brittany leave John's because she knew she'd be taken in when law enforcement arrived? Was that something she weighed out in those split seconds deciding if she could evade boyfriend for the second time? Have you tried to talk to Sheldon? Yeah, I've 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 spoke to him a couple times on the phone, and you know it always just seems that his answers were very short and blunt, and he was you know he wanted off mm. off the phone, you know. Really, <laughs> really, yeah. The car gets picked up. I know that they know who the registered owner is because in the report it shows that they talked to <coughs> the registered owner, and the owners of that vehicle said, "Well, my nephew's buying from me, so contact him." So. I know Sheldon gets notified. I just don't know what time and what day. I don't know how long, how many days go by, but, but my first 
bells are, you know, whistles are going off. My girlfriend has my car and it's been abandoned. Where is she at? And she's not picking up my phone calls. She's not responding to my text messages. Regardless of the fight that we're in, the big red flag is that the car was actually abandoned. It's one thing for her to ignore your texts and phone calls. It's another thing for her just to flee on foot and say that her boyfriend was driving the vehicle. Have you ever asked him, why didn't you report her missing? No, I don't think so. Because he didn't notify you like, hey, I got my car. I don't know where your daughter's at. I'm just letting you know, like, this doesn't seem to be on the up and up. Nope. Do you know how many days went by until he retrieved the car from the impound? Uh Uh-uh. Nobody had contacted me or anything. I think it was, I think it was December 7th is when I reported her missing. Mom was like, I haven't seen her talk to her or anything else and that was you know way I mean, Brittany talked to my mom three four times a day you know so mom reaches out to you you're like all right so you file the missing person report how did that experience go from day one with filing the missing person report law enforcement's response well I, you know it was it was pretty vague i mean and that's what made it rough i'm i'm over here you know it all happened over there they went right out you know, after I called them and talked to mom and everybody, but I've never been really kept in the loop. Really? You know, I, I feel when I made the report and stuff, you know, that they should contact me, let me know, you know, what they're doing, what's going on. Well, I never heard a word from them really? unless I called them. I had called them, checked in, you know, what they were doing and stuff like that. They called me one night wanting me to come over to Centerville, which is quite a ways from here, you know. Mm-hmm. It's 11 o'clock at night, you know. This uh, was just after there was a body that had been found right over here. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, holy shit, you know. You know, they're not telling me nothing. They want me to go to. So it's the middle of the night. I had to get my wife up out of bed because she, she goes to bed, you know, 8 o'clock every night. She gets up at 2.50 in the morning and go to work. So, you know, I got her up. I'm like, I'm like a wreck, you know. I had to drive all the way to Centerville. I get there. They take me into an interrogation room and try to tell me that I've got her hid away somewhere. No. <laughs> I don't that, know. I mean, what, I mean, you're, what was that? That's what I, you? well, that's what I told him. I'm like, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm the one called and mis- reported her missing. Right. You know, why would I call and report her missing if I got her hid away in a rehab or something? Well, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what? what, you know, is that what they you thought got, you had, you had her in a rehab? Yeah. They thought, because they can't get information on people that are in rehab. You know. How did that affect you in that moment? I mean, Well, I was pissed, you know. They drugged me clear over there in the middle of the night, like I said, 11 o'clock at night. And then sat there and wanted to accuse me of hiding her away. And, you know, I told them, you know, this body has been found over here of a, a young female. And, you know, I, I had to drive clear over here a nervous freaking wreck and you're sitting here accusing me of hiding her away and did you ask him hey, where where is this even coming from why would you <laughs> yeah, i mean what like, what tip are you going off of to think that i'm doing they're this? just like oh, well we you know we got to explore every possibility and you know, oh. i'm thinking to myself there's a lot of other possibilities to be explored than having me come over here in the middle of the night when this had just the body had just been found i'm flipping out and then here you want to sit and accuse me of I've been, having her hit away. Right. I've been preparing my heart for the last hour to accept that you're about to tell me my baby girl's gone and and I'm actually being the one interrogated. And then it was it was over a year after that that you heard from him? Yeah, that I had even heard from him. I, I had ended up contacting them again. So, yeah, they've they've never been in contact with me to you know, see how I'm doing or give me an update on what they're doing. The only time I ever heard from them was when they called me wanting me to give a D- DNA sample, and when they called me to come over there to interrogate me. What was the DNA sample for? So they would have a DNA reference if anything was found that they could compare with. When were you able to listen to the 911 call? Uh, that was just uh, a couple months ago. How did you? How were you able to get your... I uh, Well, I had got into contact with Detective Spence because... Ashley had brought up some new information and stuff. You know, everybody's wanting to know. Everybody, you know, saying that they don't have 911 calls and stuff. So, you know, I had called him on the phone and asked him. He said, yeah, that they 
they do have them. So I arranged a meeting with him at the uh, White Pigeon police post, and I met with him there, and that's when they uh, played the 911 calls for me, and that's when I informed was informed that he'd be retiring and the other guy would be taking over the case. Yeah. Listening to that call. I instantly cried. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd like to think that they're doing the best that they can, but it's, I don't know. It's just hard to believe that when nobody gets in contact with you and say, hey, you know, we've, we've done this and this. And we're doing this. You I mean, I, I can ask them the stupidest stuff. You know, just like the 911 call. Oh. There was no clues or information on that 911 call whatsoever, but I've asked him for a copy just so I can hear her voice. Yeah. No. I don't understand why. Because like I said, the only thing that's on the whole call is, you know, you can hear John talking, asking her what her name is, and then putting her on the phone with 911. 911 asking her, and she tells him, and then asking her what happened. The only thing she says is, my boyfriend wrecked the car and ran off. Then they wanted to know where she was at, and she didn't know, so she gave the phone to John. John tells them the address, and then that's it. She Most goes out the drawer, John's howling at her to come back, and then, I mean, that's it. There, there's no evidence on that call whatsoever. He yelled for Brittany's name, or does he kind of just like say, hey, hey? Come back here, and he tells the 911 operator that she ran outside, and 911 told him, that they got somebody on the way to hang up and, you know, yeah. go try to get her back in the house. And then he calls, you know, they, they play another call where he calls back and says, she's gone. Yeah. I can't find her. You ever talked to John? To no, John? I never talked to John. Some of the information that they've gave me that I don't think they should have gave me, but yet they won't have let me have that little 911 recording. Yeah. They told me that that dude was a confidential informant. You know, if he's a confidential informant, you just don't go telling no. people that, hey, this dude's a confidential informant. <laughs> yeah. You know, they've they've told me who they have polygraphed and who they have. Oh, really? Why do you give that information out? But, but you don't. As a simple recording. Right. Like, There's a lot of people that are into the drug scenes that know me and stuff, you know. In this conversation you had a few months ago, this is when they're kind of divulging this information. They showed the 911 call, but they also tell you that from what i've been told by ashley that they, they shared with you who were persons of interest or suspects and i know jessica's one of them Just, well they they want her to be one of them they want her to be one <laughs> because uh they hate her too i mean are you allowed are you willing to share who's submitted to polygraphs for my investigation i'm going to refrain from sharing the names greg shares but i promise i'll point out their names in future episodes as individuals come into the investigation I just don't want to overwhelm you with too much information all at once. Trust me, I spent nearly a year on this. Kind of a harder question. Um, I don't believe that there's a chance even that Brittany chose to run away on her own accord and she's chosen to leave and stay away from you guys and the kids. I don't doubt, I don't think that this was a new life that she chose to go leave. Uh, I've ran that over, over my head. Yeah, I mean, there was just... She doesn't seem like that kind of person to put you guys through that. Yeah. If it wasn't environment, if it wasn't conditions, if it wasn't weather conditions that led to her passing. And there's a person out there or persons out there that are able to hear you right now and the message that you have for them. What would you say to them? Karma's a bitch. They'll get theirs in time must take a really messed up individual that could live with themselves for doing something like that. I've been pretty messed up in the head before and very, very angry, and I've never had a notion of doing anything like that to anybody. So I don't know. I guess guess that's why they're a special breed of person. They'll get what they deserve someday. As father to father, I can promise you I'm not stopping. And if there was any hope that you had or if there's no hope at all, I'm here for the long haul. And I make families out of this. Well, like I said, you know, I I would truly like to hope that nobody done anything to her, that she just got succumbed by the elements out there. I mean, there's places out there so thick that, you know, could never find her. But Yeah. 
I don't know. You know, they've told me that they've searched real hard, but have they? Haven't they? Last question. If there was something you could say to her, what would you say? I'm sorry. I should have tried harder. Should have done better. miss her so much you know they say a person doesn't really realize what they have until it's gone that was a really hard lesson to learn I just hope wherever she's at she's doing well I don't know when you, when you lose a child, it just it makes you feel like you failed them. As much as we want to put our little ones in this bubble, eventually they leave the nest, and unfortunately, we live in a world where there's evil. Yes, it's a cruel world. Obviously, she felt loved by you. And obviously she was going through her challenges in life, trying to figure life out. I think it's evident that she felt loved by you. She knew she had me wrapped around her finger. <laughs> she would just have that grin. What did you call that grin? Her uh, shit-eating grin. Shit-eating grin. But are you okay? Yeah. I'm going to shut shut this down. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Hide and Seek. If you'd like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community, come interact with us. Share your thoughts, opinions, and theories in the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook.